Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I hope everyone had a wonderful summer. We are back now from hiatus, um, and it's hard to believe that school is back in session and that Tishrei and all the Yom Tovim are just a few days away. And we thought that this would be a perfect time to do something that combined this time of year, um, which I'll give you a little hint, uh, involves apples and honey. We're just a few days away from that with um, a hobby that you might not expect an Orthodox Jewish woman to have. Um, and we bring you today um, Hinda Cohen, who is a, a young woman in college in Florida, who is a firm female beekeeper, um, and we thought it would be pretty interesting to hear about um, how she got into this and what beekeeping involves and all the uses of honey um, and really our mission here at Jew in the City, uh, which actually this is something I can update you on. We actually updated our mission statement um, over the summer. Um, instead of breaking down stereotypes, we are now reversing negative associations. What I've come to realize in our work in the last few years with Project Makom is what we used to call stereotypes, unfortunately, um, is actually happening in some places to some people. Um, and it's really a, a matter of Orthodox Jews behaving badly, um, Orthodox Jews not living up to Torah ideals. So we updated our mission statement to be Jew in the City reverses negative associations about religious Jews by highlighting an approach based on kindness tolerance, sincerity, and critical thinking, and makes engaging and meaningful orthodoxy known and accessible. Um, and so keeping with our new mission, um, someone like Hinda here can sort of open up the box about what could be possible within the boundaries of uh, Jewish law, what people might expect someone to normally do. Um, Hinda, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I'm honored. Um, so if you could, I guess, let us know. So right now you live in Florida and you're, you're a college student, uh, you have some part-time work. When and why did you get into beekeeping? Um, I actually only officially started it about five years ago. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. It was just a matter of convincing my parents because, you know, my mother's a typical Jewish mother and is scared of all the kids getting stung to death, God forbid. So I just really had to convince my parents that, like, it was safe, it was fine, bees are pretty mellow unless you unless you provoke them. And, um, yeah, that happened when I was about 16, and now I'm up to three beehives. I had more, but I kind of lost some over the summer, so. Wait, so, okay, so if you could, um, you know, I understand the convincing the Jewish mother to do something that seems dangerous. I mean, that's literally my kid's life. Um, and my husband is on their side, by the way, which is difficult because then it's like five against one. Um, what made you want to keep bees? Meaning, like, I have a friend, actually, that told me, like, a couple years ago she wants to keep bees. Just like I have friends that tell me they want to run marathons. And just, like, it's so hard for my mind to understand. Like, I can understand getting a puppy or, you know, something snuggly, but... What is the interest in raising bees? To be honest, I'm not completely sure. I don't know. I guess it's part of being a kid and wanting to try absolutely everything. Um, I uh -huh. first read about it in a book when I was like eight years old, and I was like, I want to do this. And it kind of never really stopped. And, you know, like I've tried a lot of other things. This started, I did it for a little while, and then, you know, eventually gave up. And this one just stuck. It's been five years now, and I still really like it. Obviously, you know, they're not like, you don't pet them. They're not fuzzy. Well, they are fuzzy, but, you know, like, <laughs> you don't want to touch them. Um, 
But I don't know. They're just really nice to be around. It's interesting to watch them work. Um, it can be rewarding, but it can also be really challenging because the bees are having such a difficult time these days. So I don't know. It's a very mixed bag. Okay, so um, that a little bit got me closer to an answer. Okay, reading in a book and then, you know, going with that. What did this look like when you finally convinced mom that this was a good idea to do? Um, how did you go about actualizing this childhood dream? Uh, first, a bit of online research. Um, also, my older sister was kind of into it. She thought it was a great idea. So we kind of did it together. She was really the leader of it because she's older. Um, and then we just contacted the local beekeepers association asking, you know, where do we get bees? Because we bought the bee boxes on eBay or um, maybe it was on eBay. But we bought all the pieces. We put them all together. We had like an entire hive body built. We were like, now we just need bees. So we contacted the local beekeepers association. And, you know, they rescue feral swarms all the time. And, yeah, someone gave us one, and we just put them in the box in the backyard. And now, obviously, it's grown a bit. But, uh, yeah, that's the first one. So what does a person, let's say we have someone crazy out there listening and says, this is a great idea. I don't just want honey with my apples this Rosh Hashanah. I want to have honey all year long. Um, can anyone do this? Do you need to have a certain climate? Do you need to have a certain amount of land? Can you do this in your apartment building? Like what does one need to become a beekeeper? Well, it depends on the law in your area. And, um, and at least in Florida, uh, the only organization um, that can prevent you from keeping bees is a homeowner's association, but besides that, no one else can really stop you, including city government, um, because, you know, bees are endangered, and they're trying, the state is trying to do as much as they can to help beekeepers. But again, it depends. It depends on the area. Also, there are some people whose um, apartment buildings allow them to keep beehives on the roof, and there are some who allow them to keep them on balconies, so it, it depends who you're working with and what they allow. Wow. Um, and the first thing I'd recommend is just find a local beekeepers association, contact them, try to get in touch with the members. They're usually very friendly, helpful people. They're glad to, you know, they're very glad to talk to you and try to help out. And then just take it from there, like, you know, see what they advise. Maybe someone has an extra beehive that they can't take care of because it's just too much for them, and, you know, they'll give it to you. I've gotten a couple of beehives like that. Um, and, yeah, just first find out what's available to you with the law. And then contact the local beekeepers because they really know, you know, what's for the area. Also, it is different, a little different depending on climate. Like a lot of beekeeping that you'll learn about is relative to wintering. You know, wintering your hive and, you know, how much honey to leave them for the whole winter and how to wrap it up or not to wrap it up or whatever it is. And obviously none of that is relevant in Florida. It's completely different. So it would depend a little bit on the area that you're in, but mostly, again, it depends on what the laws are where you are. But do bees, like, fly south for the winter if they're in a colder climate? Where do they go? What, what does a bee do in the winter? Nope. In the winter, they kind of just huddle up. It, um, they hibernate also, but sometimes they don't. They just, you know, all snuggle up in their hive and eat the honey that they've stored, which can be anywhere from, I mean, it can be anywhere from 40 pounds of honey all the way up to 200 pounds of honey. Like, there can be any amount of it in there. Um and, yeah, they just eat that. Uh, sometimes in the winter they look dead. If you open up the hive, it's just like a bunch of bugs lying on the floor of the hive, but they're actually alive, just hibernating. Um, but, yeah, they don't migrate. They just huddle up. So It sounds a little bit like how I experience the winter, just sort of huddle up and, like, eat and stay warm. And don't <laughs> eat all your food. <laughs> eat everything. 
Got it. Okay. So, um, okay. So you get your, your, what did you call them? You, what did you get on eBay exactly? What were those things, the containers that hold bees? Yeah. Um, also, you know, I shop around several beekeeping supply places like Kelly Beekeeping and Brushy Mounted Bee Farm. Like, it depends what you're buying. There's some things where I just, you know, I'll skip all the beekeeping places and just go straight to eBay. But um, I started with the uh, Langstroth hive body. There are a few different types of beehives. The ones that I mostly have are Langstroth hives, which um, if you look at them, it, it looks like uh, boxes stacked up. And each is anywhere from 8 to 10 frames on it, depending on the size, size of the hive that you buy. So let's just um, clarify something. You're, you're talking about hives as in man-made things, but then bees go and make their own beehives. So I'm a little bit confused. Well, a bee, beehives will live in just about anything that, you know, anything that, like, fits their criteria for a good home. So okay. it has to be protected from the rain. It's better if it's somewhat off the ground so that way it won't get flooded out. Like, they kind of know what the best home for them is, which is why, you know, you'll hear about bee colonies making a home in a tree or in someone's attic or um, even in a storage box for um, pool equipment. Like, they'll make a home almost anywhere that's good for them. So when you're housing bees, you know, you just need to give them, like, a box that's a reasonable size for holding the colony and then some, expecting some growth. Okay. And then, you know, a small enough entrance that they can come and go, but not large enough that it can get invaded by mice or anything else. So, oh, wow. so the Langstroth hive is good, but, you know, it has its pros and its cons. Um, okay, so just to clarify, so the box it, that you buy, okay. the box that you buy is called a hive, but then they go and they build a natural hive inside of the hive, kind of, yes? Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll attach the comb to anything. Like, if pe if you put Tupperware in the hive, they would probably build comb in that. Like, no joke. They'll build it on anything. Okay. Um, how many bees did you start off with from the, the Beekeepers Association? Um, it depends, because if they're catching a, a foul swarm, it'll be a cluster of bees that's anywhere from the size of a grapefruit to the size of a watermelon. And then a typical hive will grow to be, like, 40,000 bees. So... Meaning, what is the time from, like, your grapefruit or watermelon hive to, like, your football hive? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It can happen as little as a month. It depends on the bees. It depends on how well they're doing. Like, sometimes they have a slow start or they're having some difficulty. Also, it depends on how efficient your queen is. The average queen probably lays around 700 eggs a day. My God. <sighs> to maintain wow. that population. <laughs> Okay, what do you have to feed bees? Meaning, like, what? It, so you put the bee inside the man-made hive, and then you just leave them, or do you have like what kind of upkeep or maintenance do you have to do? And do did you get guard? Did you get special like um, protective gear? Um, yes. Well, that's kind of back to the beginning. I didn't want to wear a veil or a suit or anything like that, but my mother is like, absolutely not. You have to. You have to have some sort of protection. You can't go out there. You'll get stung to death. So. So, yeah, I got the veil and gloves, which I'm glad that I did that because I do not want to get stung on the face. There are other places, like, I don't mind getting stung on the arms or the legs or anything, but not the face. Um, so, yeah, about, it depends. I mean, if I go out there while it's cloudy or if it's raining, I'll get stung. Um, if I drop something or if I accidentally break off a big piece of honeycomb, you know, it depends. But I've never gotten stung while there's a lit smoker. The smoke really works to keep them calm. It's not, I mean, that's not a myth. So, 
Uh, so you bring in a smoker when you manage them, and that keeps them. So why wouldn't you just always do that? You're just like laziness, or you're in a rush. Usually, the only reason I'd not bring smokers is if I'm in a rush. Occasionally, um, I do keep a beehive at my sister's house, so occasionally I've gone there to check them and forgot to bring the smoker, a mistake I would not like to repeat. Um, but you know, sometimes, like sometimes, I just can't get it lit, or you know, if all the I use um, leaves and grass or whatever else I can find, and sometimes I'll forget about this, and it will rain the day before, so everything's wet, and I can't get it lit. So then I'm like, ah, I don't have time for this. Just just go for it, and then that's usually a bad idea. So you, I'm saying to keep bees, you need to be okay with getting stung sometimes. That's just part of the process. Occasionally, but also I know another beekeeper who didn't get her first bee sting until she had had them for four and a half years. Uh-huh. Okay, so if you're really responsible, you can hopefully keep uh, this down. Okay, so what are bees eating? I know that they are they work with flowers, but we talked about putting bees on top of a apartment building roof or a balcony. So how, how would bees, are they just traveling far to find nectar? Yeah, well, far is like in a one-mile radius, typically. Um, in fact, they say that bees in urban or suburban areas often do better than ones in uh, more rural areas because of factory farming. You know, it used to be in the old days how within a one-mile radius you'd have a mix of various types of flowers and trees and um, vegetable plants and everything all flowering at different times. So there's usually something at all times that they could be going to forage. But then with factory farming, you know, if you put the beehive out in the middle of a factory farm where you have acre after acre of just one type of crop that's only blooming for a few weeks of the year, then, you know, once that's done, then the bees have nothing to eat after that, and, you know, they're stranded out there in the middle of a factory farm. Mm. So in an urban area or suburban area, you'll still have, like, you can usually rely on something to be flowering nearby all the time. They do very well here, so, mm-hmm. um, you, say, you know. People put you, out you really, to just decorate their house and their apartment. Is that where they're going to find their, their nectar? Yeah, well, it depends on the area. Like, in a place like Manhattan, I don't know that bees could find anything to eat, but, you know, in a place where I am, like Hollywood, Florida, it's a suburban area, but, you know, everyone everyone has flowers on their, you know, on their lawns. Um, there are a lot of trees around here. Uh, you know, there are mango trees around here and mulberry trees also. So there's usually reliably something blooming at any time. So, Yeah. They're fine. Okay. And why why did bees become endangered? Meaning it just seems like they should be part of nature. They, you know, find... I mean, I guess you mentioned a little bit about the factory farming. Is that what messed them up? Um, according to some, obviously everyone has a different opinion. Everyone has a different theory. Um, and again, um, I'm just a beekeeper. Like, you know, this isn't like from a researcher's point of view or from anyone in the Department of Agriculture. I'm sure they have a better answer. But a lot of... Um, there are a lot of theories that it's um, heavy pesticide use and herbicide mm. uses. And I, I have noticed that when my neighbor sprays particular pesticides, that I will lose a colony right around that time, or the colony will just go completely crazy. Mm. Um, so according to a lot of people, it's pesticides. Um, and there's some who say that this is factory farming. Um, but it could be a few things. And then there's colony collapse disorder, but, you know, although that's common, uh, everyone's cause, and again, some are saying it's chemicals. So, 
there are a few things that it could be. Also, I would expect it to be climate change because two years ago, um, I don't know if you remember, or maybe this was only in Florida. I think it was. Around Hanukkah, the rainy season firstly, like, entirely skipped. We didn't get it in the summer. And then around Hanukkah, it was just pouring, pouring, pouring for days, and it wouldn't stop. And bees couldn't go out and forage. And um, I went out to check one of the hives, and, like, they didn't have any food left. They'd eaten up everything. They couldn't leave the hive because it was raining so badly. So I actually went to feed them, and, you know, you feed them sugar water only if you absolutely had to have to. But I've, like, never had to feed a hive before. And then I was going out, like, the next day with the food to give to them, and the hot entire hive had absconded because they ran out of food. They got desperate, and they just left. And I was like, well, with these heavy rains, it's very unlikely that they're going to survive, even trying to find a new home. So, yeah, climate change pushing rainy season three months forward really messed them up, and that alone killed one of my hives. So, and what are the benefits of, of bees to, to the environment? Um, they say that bees pollinate um, 70% of all the food we eat out there. So it's the majority of crops. They may, the main beekeeping business is actually crop pollination, like commercial beekeepers with 2,000 hives. They're not in the honey business. They're just renting out their hives for crop pollination. So, hmm. so you told me that you do not... Um, sell your honey because it ends up getting used up by friends and family first. But if you could tell me what yeah. do you do other than get stung sometimes and do something um, from the childhood dream, what are the other uses that, you know, come from this uh, beekeeping process? Uh, well, I've gotten a lot of beeswax that has turned into furniture polish and lip balm and Havdala candles and votive candles. and It's become a whole bunch of things. I kind of stopped with that, though, because there's just the beeswax mess all over the kitchen would be too much. Besides, it's not my kitchen. It's my mother's. So it's really mm-hmm. uh, not very fair. Um, um, also, I collect pollen. It has a lot of, um, they say it has a lot of, like, uh, health benefits to it for immune, your immune system and, you know, for people with allergies. So I thought that, that sometimes also. has health benefits for people with allergies, but some people are horribly allergic to pollen, right? So these are the non-pollen allergic people have benefits to it? Both. I mean, they say, and I have never personally tried this, so I'm not recommending it. They say for people with pollen allergies, that actually if they take some of it every day, that it'll cure them. They won't get spring allergies anymore. So I do know someone who did this, and it worked for him. But again, I'm not like recommending this to everyone without talking to a doctor first. Okay, hear that, listeners. We're not recommending this for any official any official usage. You can look into it yourself. Um, and and then you also told me that there's a lot of uses for honey. Like you could write a book, and that actually fascinates me because meaning like I cook with it sometimes. I dip my apples into the honey. Um, I'm not sure what else. What else can you do with honey? Well, relating to food, you could put it on almost anything. It's the only sweetener my family really uses. So it works very well in baking. Um, it's great for sweetening tea. Some people in my family put it on fruit. I think that that's too sweet. Um, it can even go in a salad dressing. Like honey, with food, you can put it on almost anything. Um, there are people I know who have also used it for burns, like when they got a really bad burn. Um, they put it on it, and it heals very quickly and amazingly well. And, People recommend that. I've never personally tried it, so I couldn't tell you. Um, but there are people who do that. They put it right on the beast thing. Um, there are people who also use it for face masks. It softens your skin. Um, I have actually tried the honey and oatmeal one, like the oat grains, raw ones. 
it does actually work. Um, and, yeah, people also use honey, honey the same way they'll use Neosporin. They say that it works. I've never done this. Again, I'm not recommending it to anyone. Uh, they say it's also a disinfectant. It has a lot of uses. Again, not all of them that I've tried, and then there's some that seem a little extreme, like, um, um, for fixing furniture. I'm not really sure about that one. Hmm. But I don't know. It could work. And do you, has this caught on? Like, meaning, do you have, like, friends who are like, wow, Hinda, Hinda's beekeeping is so cool, I want to keep bees now, too? Is this, has this become a thing in your social I've had, circle? I've had, a, I've had a bunch of them say that, and so far I don't think any of them actually went through with it and started keeping bees. So, we'll see. Um, one thing, one thing yeah, to sort of appreciate from afar. Maybe their mothers didn't let... Um, and do you foresee continuing this, like I'm saying, with a family and children? Like, do you want to raise your children keeping bees as well? I'd like to. Honestly, my only concern is um, if I have difficult pregnancies, I'm not really sure how I'd continue to do all the beekeeping work like that. So, honestly, mm -hmm. that is something I'm a little bit concerned about. Mm -hmm. But other than that, yeah, I'd like to continue keeping bees. I mean, if I get married soon, you know. I'd, I'd start living in an apartment, but then still keep the bees at my parents' house and, you know, check on them every couple weeks, take care of them. And, again, I can't really predict what the situation's going to be. I might also end up moving away, so I'd have to deal with that then. But what I would like to, ideally, I would like to continue keeping bees. And, yeah, have my kids around bees. My niece would like being around them. Um, obviously, you know, I keep them at a bit of a distance, but, uh, but yeah. Kids love them. It's pretty so. funny, you know. A lot of I kids like get that. married. They get married and they leave behind, you know, some of their um, yearbooks in their parents' house, and you'd be leaving around your bees. You know, we didn't actually get into this. I know. Um, what does what does bee upkeep entail? We sort of talked about setting it up and getting your um, colony ready, but um, how often are you tending to them, and what exactly? You know, how long does each session last, and what exactly is the job of the beekeeper? Like, that I don't really understand at all. Like, meaning, I guess what my question is, is don't bees just live in nature? Like, why do they need to be kept? Meaning, like, um, you know, the, the rabbits that live in the woods or the deer or, you know, any sort of wild animals just live and don't need um, humans to keep them. So why do bees need to be kept, and, and then what do you do to keep them? Okay. Um Personally, I'm not, like, up to date on the beekeeping protocol, so the information I'm giving you is probably about one year outdated since it's the last time I attended a beekeeper's meeting. Um, last I checked, legally, you have to check the bees at least once a month. The main concern that they're looking for is American fowl brood, which is extremely contagious. If I remember correctly, they say that it takes 10 spores to infect another hive, and that one infected brood... Um, puts off 10 million spores, so it's extremely contagious to the point that if you find American fowl brood in your hive, it's the only illness with bees where you have to actually set the hive on fire and you can't use any of the equipment again. You have to sterilize it all if you're going to. So that's the biggest concern because it's so contagious and it's, and it's very deadly. Like with other things, you know. Wait, you mean, who does it kill, bees or that. people? Bees. It's not a danger to people at all. Like, say you could actually take the honey out of a hive of American fowl brood and eat it, but you do have to destroy the hives, and unfortunately also all the bees, because any of the bees carrying it could affect every other hive around. So that's something you, you really it? have to How do you detect for. a spore? 
Um, they say the number one sign your hive could have foul brood is the smell. They say the smell is so bad that there's, like, no one who cannot gag while being around it. And then um, there's the ropey brood thing, where if you go to the, the cells in the comb, they say if you if you take out the brood, it'll, like, stretch and be all gooey. So, thank God I've never seen this, so I can't really tell you exactly what it is. But, like, that was a serious concern that you have to check for. Um, other things that you're looking for, again, you're just checking for their overall health. You don't want to lose a hive to things like hive beetles or, um, varroa mites. Like, you know, they, they, I mean, they'll attack the bees and you'll see bees going around with like chopped up looking wings from varroa mite damage. So, uh, you do want to look out for that. And again, varroa mite damage, what does that mean? Um, it's mites that attack the bees while they're still, um, like before they hatch often. They'll, like, just be attacking the larva. And then the way you know you have a varroa mite is issue is you see those, like, tattered-looking wings or, you know, wing damage from being eaten by the mites. And how so, do you thank God, that? again, I've never had that. I'm sorry? Oh, and what do you do if you see your bees have been, been eaten by mites? Like, is there anything to do, or...? Uh, there's a treatment. Um, there are actually few. Again, I, thank God I've never looked into them because I've never had this issue. So I couldn't tell you offhand, like, what the treatment is for that. I have had issues with small hive beetles, which I was able to treat with mineral oil. You can buy at CVS Pharmacy near you anywhere. So hmm. I was glad that that treatment was easy. Um, but, but yeah, the bees of 100 years ago were probably not as vulnerable to these things. But, again, because bees are having such a difficult time today, you do have to be concerned with a thing like this destroying an entire hive. So the first thing that, you know, the main thing you're checking for is the bee health. Mm -hmm. Then when you're inspecting, you want to make sure you still have a live and active queen because, again, without a queen, your hive is just a few weeks from, you know, completely dying off. Um, yeah. Queen bee, the queen, a healthy queen will live from anywhere from three to five years. Again, keeping up the population of about 40,000 bees, so that's a lot of eggs to lay every day. Does she replace herself, uh, or so you, only has, you know, does she only have workers, or does she ever replace herself? Well, the workers usually replace the queen bee. If the queen bee dies, then they'll go to some of the brood that's already there and make a queen out of that. Um, Wait, can we just discuss we'll also... genders? Wait, is the queen bee actually, she's a girl and the rest are boys. So what, what happens to the other girls? They're like queens in waiting. I'm, I don't really know like bee um, family trees. <laughs> it's okay. Um, actually, all the worker bees in the hive are also female. Only males what? in the hive are drones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, all the worker bees are female. Um, but they have Wait, underdeveloped... The drones are really good for reproduction. Wow, and and they only mate with uh, with queens from other hives, so you know you have some genetic diversity there. They're not going to mate with the queen from their own hive, so they're only their only purpose is for reproduction, really, because wow. they don't forage, they don't make the honey in the hive, they don't clean up. It's all the worker bees, but also you know a good side of it is that um, drones don't have fingers, so you know you could like okay. hold a drone in your hand and really not be concerned about getting stung. Wow, uh, but yeah, all the worker bees are female. Um, they don't have functioning reproductive systems, so although they could lay eggs, which it's, it's a bad sign if your worker bees are laying eggs, the eggs won't hatch, like, they don't work at all. Um, the queen is, like, the only fertile bee in the hive, and basically all the bees in the hive are her children. So she's very busy just laying eggs the entire day. So part of how you make sure you have a healthy queen is if you see bee eggs, it means she lays them just that day, usually. 
Um, or you'll see larva that's clearly like one or two days developed, and then you're like, huh. I mean, I've actually never spotted my queen. And like, you hear all these other beekeepers being like, oh, look at my queen. I'm posting pictures. Oh, look at this queen. I'm like, how do you even find her? Five years, I've never been able to find a queen bee. But I just find the eggs and the larva, so, you know, I know she's there. She's fine. She's very um, modest. She's a so. modest queen. Um, well, Linda, this is really, this is quite fascinating. <laughs> I really never knew this much. Um, we have about a minute and a half to go, and I'm not sure if you've ever considered this question before, but I'll, I'll uh, pose it to you. Is there anything spiritual about sort of being so connected to nature, kind of helping Hashem's world uh, flourish like this or sort of protecting his creatures? Definitely. I had wandered on enough before. I was like, is this sort of like or something, or is this part of like, you know, making the world a better place when you leave it than it was when you came into it? I was like, any, anything, any way that I can help it is good. So I was like, maybe this is part of it. Um, you definitely uh, have more of an awe of God's um, creativity and all that. Like, a beehive is really an amazing thing. It's I mean, you couldn't even try to explain how these bees are able to communicate with each other, how it is like 40,000 bees can work like such a unit, can understand each other. It's really amazing. Um, and obviously, sorry to say, like my most religious moment with this is if I can't get the smoker lit and the bees are flying all over the place angry, like I'll start saying Kriyat Shema. No joke. <laughs> nice. So, <laughs> so we, we have our Yehirat zones for Rosh Hashanah, so maybe our Yehirat zone on the bees should be, may we have uh, unity and work together as well as a, a colony of bees do. Yep, that uh, sounds thank good. Thank you, so, thank you so much for joining us, and I want to wish you and your family a happy and sweet New Year. You're welcome. Thank you very much for uh, for letting me do this. It's, it's an honor, and Shana Tova to you and your family as well. And to the whole Thank team you so that you're in the city. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and Shana Tova, Mitsuka, to all of our listeners. Um, and we will catch you on the other side of uh, Rosh Hashanah. Bye-bye. And you can catch us same time, same place next week.